Welcome to The Gavel. This is a new podcast about debate, about news, about issues that matter in the world, and it is hosted by The Gavel team. I am Cam. And I'm Hal. And we will be hosting today's episode. We will have different hosts and different episodes and different segments, but for right now, you have us. Get excited. This, uh, the show is going to be broken up into three segments, and this is the first of which, which is called The Chronicle. And it is a news segment where we go through some major news stories of the week. We read them to you and offer some uh, discussion on them. So, how are you ready? I am so ready. All right, would you like me to begin? Uh, I think you should go for it. Okay. I have two stories this week, and they are about Wall Street. Uh, they're pretty short articles, so I'm just going to go for it and read them because it'll make more sense. The first Sounds one like a plan. is from MSNBC. It is from one day ago, and it's called Wall Street Slides on Final Day of Brutal Quarter by Al Olson. And we begin. Stocks fell sharply again Friday as downbeat foreign economic reports weighed heavily on investors' minds. It's been a brutal week, month, and quarter for Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down about 10% for the quarter, the largest drop by percentage since the first quarter of 2009, and the worst point drop since the first quarter of 2008, the peak of the financial meltdown. This will be the third worst quarter in the Dow since 2002. The other U.S. indexes have been hit too. The broader S&P 500 and the tech-heavy Nasdaq will close out their worst quarterly performance in years. If you think it's bad in America, it's even worse in Europe. According to Reuters, the market in Germany, France, and Spain have suffered their largest quarterly loss in nine years. The Dow fell 240 points, or 2.16%, to 10,913, falling below the 11,000 mark. The S&P fell 28.98 points, or 2.5%, to 1,131. The Nasdaq dropped 65.36 points, or 2.6%. Economic data from China and Europe fueled investors' fears of a continuing global shutdown. Slowdown. Morgan Stanley took a huge hit because of its exposure to European banks. The Associated Press reports all 10 industry groups in the Standard & Poor's 500 index lost ground. Materials, industrials, and financial com companies each fell more than 2%. The broad index dropped 17 points, or 1.5%, to 1,143. The S&P 500 is down 13% since July 1st, the start of the third quarter. It's the biggest quarterly drops since the three months ended December 1st, 2008, when global financial markets seized up. Excluding that period, the S&P has not dropped this much in a quarter for nine years. The market has really seen some damage this quarter, says Mike Hurley, portfolio manager of Highland Trend Following Fund. The weakness appears to be the start of a long decline, Hurley said, because bonds are gaining value and interest rates are low. Traders are also selling commodities such as oil, which could lose value in an economic downturn as demand for them declines. Lower interest rates and commodity prices are definitely an indication that the market thinks economic activity is going to be weak, Hurley said. Even though American consumers were more upbeat in September and spending was up, the U.S. Re recovery is still sputtering badly. Um, we were talking about this in economics the other day, and we were more talking about how the U.S. economy relates to um, the bad economic situation in Greece, and uh, if we could have an, a government shutdown. But obviously, this is really bad. Do you see 
any chance of recovery soon? I mean, I think it's just like, I don't know, everything's so messed up right now. It's like the only, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's scary to think about it, I guess. But like, you kind of, you have to put your faith in the fact that like, the capitalist economy is known for going in cycles. Right. Um, and just hope that it's going to start turning up at some point. I mean, when you look back at like Great Depression and stuff, it was the war that brought us out of it. I mean, you know, FDR's New Deal made an impact, but ultimately it was the massive government spending that result like from the war production and things like that that really like turned it around and got people jobs and got people to have disposable income that they could then spend on consumer goods, um, which is what ultimately brought the economy back. But I think it's just right now because of the political climate that we're in, it's, it's hard to come up with a solution because it's, I mean, on the one hand, having a divided, like divided government is good because it means that you need to have like really a good plan in order for it to pass. But in some cases, and I think this is one of them, it's better just to have some sort of solution that gets pushed through than have to do this struggle back and forth that we're dealing with right now. So knowing that the government brought us out of the last similar situation to this, do you think that there's anything that the individual or just the everyday citizen could do to help the economy, even marginally? I mean, there's always the President Bush mentality when he told people he, that they just need to go out and spend some money. Like, remember when he sent out those checks to people and was like, here's $80, you should go buy, like, consumer goods. Right. Not a, not necessarily the most effective plan. I think it's challenging on an individual basis because a lot of it has to do with just, like, the structure of um, mm-hmm. our economy. But I think keeping faith in the stocks and in your banks is always a good thing. I ask you that because the other article I found was about Wall Street protesters. I'm just going to read a little portion of the article. It's from uh, CNN about a day ago. I think he's ready. This article's from CNN the other day. Protests to draw attention to the power of Wall Street firms in the United States and world economies will continue for a 14th straight day Friday in New York City. Demonstrations are addressing various issues including police brutality, union busting, and the economy, said Occupy Wall Street protest group, the group taking its inspiration from the Arab Spring protests that swept through Africa and the Middle East, has taken up residence in a park in New York's financial district, calling for 20,000 people to flood the area for a few months. Social media fueled those uprisings in places like Egypt and Libya, and organizers are hoping it will work in the United States, too. Organizers say that they've had as many as 600 demonstrators in the area over the weekend, but the crowd has dwindled to about 200 people in recent days. About 100 people have been arrested during the protests, police said. People were apprehended for disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, obstructing governmental administration, and assaulting a police officer, said New York City Deputy Commissioner Paul J. Brown. Most of the arrests came Saturday. There were no arrests on Sunday or Monday, said the organizers. So, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that little comparison um, saying that if the protests worked in Africa, why wouldn't it work in New York City? Um, I think it's a little questionable. Um, I know that it's actually kind of interesting that you bring this article up because just last night I was in um, downtown Burlington walking around Church Street with some friends. And um, there was a group of people walking around. One man was wearing, like, a, I don't know the 
it's kind of like a masquerade mask sort of thing. And he was saying, it was like, Anonymous is here to save you. And then hmm. his sign said that. And then there were a couple others that were just basically talking about the Wall Street um, situation. And apparently there's a solidarity in Burlington sort of movement thing happening tomorrow, um, which is it's interesting. But I think that, you know, the the reason why the Arab Spring, like, sort of worked, I guess, is um, because they didn't have democracy Right. Or at least a republic kind of thing. Like, they were going from such an extreme that I think it worked. Whereas here, like, we have a pretty, right. like, in, like, it's, we're built to be a nation where, like, we listen to the public. And I think that the government is trying to help the public. If they you just see the, if you see the picture on the article, it was obviously taken by, like, a famous um, news photographer. And there's one guy holding the American flag looking like he's climbing a mountain. And the other guy, he, he's bald, and he looks a bit sad, and he's holding a pizza box, on the back of which he wrote, Wall Street has the real weapons of mass destruction. And he probably wrote that in his Sharpie that he bought from his Walmart in his civil right. country. But yeah. Obviously, I think, you know, right to protest. I am happy that they're doing this, because they have... Oh, me too. ...issue, and they're standing up for it. But I don't know... Uh, I don't know if it is going to have a true effect. Do you? I mean, I don't think that there's, like, it's, I when they're just rebelling for the sake of, or protesting for the sake of protesting, it just doesn't, I don't know, like, there's not, there's not a lot that can be done. I mean, yes, like, are there CEOs that are getting too big of bonuses and, like, you know, corrupt businesses that are still in the positive, like, yes, those things do exist, but I don't think that it's something that the government can just say, like, here's what we're going to do to fix it. Right. And when you talk about the protest for the sake of protest, the article later goes on to mention Twitter and how big of an effect Twitter has had on it, which, if you remember Libya, if you remember Egypt, before that, um, I think it was Iran that uh, everyone changed their pictures to green for and their time zones, and um, Twitter seems to be used for this sort of protest, social movement type thing. Right. I think that's also... Um, protest for the sake of protest i think yeah. as we're more connected these things happen faster yeah when they say they want twenty thousand people in a park on a weekend it has a greater chance of happening right okay um do you want to go into yours i have one tiny one but um i can go into greece right now since we're on the economy just to Round that out. Sorry, I need to say that again. Um, I can go on to Greece right now if you'd like, just to kind of round things out on the economy. Go with it. Um, so essentially, I sort of pulled pieces from this article that I found to be particularly interesting. But in case you have been living under some kind of rock for the last very long while, um, Greece's economy is pretty much, um, well, non-existent. And so... I guess one of the big issues is that there's like the public sector employs one in five people in Greece, but they're unable to really sustain like the necessary, necessary social services. Um, so there have been these networks created that are actually bartering systems um, to kind of fill in that gap. And essentially what it is, is in place of using euros, um, these bartering towns will just, they adopted this voucher system. And so the one that this article is about is this place called Volos, which I'm probably mispronouncing because Greek words are pronounced interestingly. 
But um, they pretty much have adopted this bartering system, and it's a network that is part alternative currency, part bartering system, and part open-air market. And so basically what this means is people are able to get these books of vouchers that are like alternative currency, and they pretty much use them like checks. And um, there are businesses that will actually take them within this town. So aside from being able to trade for goods, they can also trade for services. Um, like there's a veterinarian, an optician, a seamstress, things like that, where people can actually just use these vouchers to receive these services. And um, it's actually gotten to the point now that um, Parliament actually passed a law. It was sponsored by the Labor Ministry, and it's pretty much to encourage the creation of um, what they called, quote, alternative forms of entrepreneurship and local development, including net- networks based on an exchange of goods and services. So this is pretty much to try to, like, address the fact that these groups are rising or, like, coming to surface. Um, and according to groups like this Volos Network, they claim that they want to work in parallel with the regular economy, but um, they're trying to sort of show solidarity in these challenging political times that they're having in Greece right now because there's a big debate between switching back to the euro, I mean, switching from the euro back to the drachma, which, again, I'm probably mispronouncing. But... Um, I don't know. It's just a really interesting idea because I, I remember in, in debate um, there were people who would – I actually remember someone running the case that, like, we should sw- the United States should switch to a bartering system. And I just think it's kind of interesting that in 2011 we have a country that is legitimately using one. Yeah, when you first started talking about it, I was picturing a little ticket system at carnivals. And then you went to the bartering part of it, and then I was picturing them trading chickens. But right. I guess it's a combination of them. I think the words have connotations that take it back to medieval times. Absolutely. I don't know. I I think it's it's not a great thing to undermine the euro in their actual currency, but I found it interesting that, like you said, um, like the seamstress and the actual businesses using it and accepting. Yeah. Or like a an optician, you know, like. It's fascinating. The people who provide like medical care are accepting these vouchers in this system like that's really cool it's crazy don't know if it's gonna work but it's pretty cool yeah it seems to be an interim step but exactly and that's i think that's the goal is that they're trying to just provide a little bit of stability um in the transition that's happening there right now but be very interesting to see what happens i I mean there's definitely some people are suggesting that like they're trying to evade taxes and bringing up a lot of drama about that but which always makes me think of that snl skit with tina fey um on weekend update back during the palin thing when she would go on she was on weekend update with seth and amy and they were talking she was doing it a really segment about greece and she was like i called my aunt who lives in greece and i asked her what the greek word is for taxes and she said we don't have one so you know it's all right greek economy is just having some problems but um i think it's kind of it's it's interesting that they're trying this different method yeah and i think it's good that they're trying that I think it may work for a little while. Obviously, it's not a long-term thing. But I think, give it 10 years, it'll be something really cool to buy on eBay. (laughs) Like one of those little vouchers? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Absolutely. It'd be awesome. Piece of history. Um, Yeah, so that's that's been a lot of of economics for us today. Do you want to bring us in with another news story? Yeah, that's what I like about this, because being the Chronicle, I mean, everyone's heard about... Greece, economy, bad. I mean, those little kind of keyword headlines. 
So I think it's good that we're going into not just the broad headlines that you could do without doing any research, but the little real-world applications and things that you might not know otherwise. Absolutely. Good job. I applaud you. Oh, thank you. I would applaud you, but... Yeah, I got you. Let's hear uh, your story about the uh, terrorist plot. Mine, um... The title? Massachusetts man planned to destroy Capitol and Pentagon with explosive-packed remote airplanes. Damn. Uh, yeah, this one... <laughs> this is an example of people having too much time on their free hands. But it is a good um, kind of message about safety and homegrown terrorism and that sort of racial profiling type thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a humorous article, so enjoy. So what do you do when you've graduated college and you are sitting around Massachusetts? Conspire to blow up the two greatest symbols of American global power, the U.S. Capitol and Pentagon, with a giant C4-laden toy plane. I shouldn't be laughing. According to feds who've now busted 26-year-old Reswan Fardos, the chap was going to ram remote-controlled planes into these two iconic structures. Luckily for us, CBS reports Fardos was arrested with what he believed was C4 explosive, which suggests that he didn't actually have C4. Maybe it was Play-Doh. But the feds did find very real grenades and six machine guns, so it's likely that there was more to his plot than the plane attack. Had he not been too inept to execute the plan, like most terrorists have proven themselves to be, a remote plane attack would have been pretty damn diabolical. There's a reason we use little remote-controlled airplanes to do our dirty work. They're fast, hard to spot, and harder to shoot down. In other words, a perfect platform for a big wad of C4. Details are sparse on this one right now, but we'll be curious to see what this would-be remote bomber's downfall was and some photographs of that rig. Wow. So that's um, that's kind of terrifying. Um, yeah. There are so many ways that people can hurt other people. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what their reasoning was, but, I mean, in a million years, I would have never thought of that. Not that I think of those things, but I, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, that is incomprehensible. It's just, can you I imagine? don't even have... That could have worked. Yeah. It's terrifying how, like, we have yeah. we have billions and billions of dollars put into security and we're a, TSA. We're, yeah, we're a world power, but this could have destroyed. I mean, parts. It wouldn't have taken down the whole building, probably. But that's just crazy. I just thought this was kind of a shocking article. And I hadn't heard about it anywhere else. But the fact that these kind of things happen every day, I mean, all the millions of death threat letters that they get, you know, newspaper clippings and little magazine where you get the words and, you know, you're going to die, that type of yeah. thing, they mail in every day. And I'm sure right. they dismiss most of them because I'm sure most of them are fake. But either way, it's just crazy how much animosity there is. I, mean, I don't know if this guy, I'm assuming he was just a homegrown terrorist. Because he was living in the U.S. and there was nothing else given about it, but yeah, I just found it very kind of haunting. a little bit disturbing. Yeah. Okay, well, I have one more little story, and it's more news as far as industry, trade, innovation. Uh, the Kindle, which is an Amazon device, it's an e-reader, which means books that you read on your phone or iPad or computer, and 
the Kindle and the Nook, which is the Barnes & Noble version, have basically killed physical books to an extent. Uh, Borders shut down largely because they didn't have an e-reader device, and that was tragic. I hated seeing that. Um, yeah. There's a lovely one down near my house, and now it's gone. I passed it today, and it was just a sad little carcass. Um, it was a huge carcass. It was like two stories. But yeah. the other day... The other day, Amazon announced their new line of Kindles, including one that is called the Kindle Fire, and it's basically a tablet, which means that they're trying to knock down the iPad, too. What do you think about this new market as a whole of e-readers and going into tablets and that kind of interim step between a phone and a computer? What do you think? We actually um, had a pretty interesting discussion about this the other day, some of my friends and I. Um, because with college textbooks and whatnot, it's, it's very pricey. Um, I mean, I was on the very low end of what people had to pay for textbooks, and mine came in around 600 Wow. Um, most people were paying more like eight, nine, even $1,000. And pretty much what we were talking about is for our honors college class, we have this, which is a discussion-based class. It's like 30 kids, and we just kind of talk about um, different articles and books and stuff like that. So anyway, we have this giant book that they compiled, and it's a series of articles, like maybe, I don't even know, it's probably like 100 pages long, and it's all scanned and photocopied articles, and so we were saying, like, it would be great if they would just put it as, like, a Kindle collection Mm -hmm. that kids could download and then just use on their, like, Kindle or laptop or whatever, because it would just, it would save so much paper, it would save so much money, it would just be a lot easier. Like, with the Kindle, you can annotate right on it, apparently. I don't know, I don't have one, but... Yeah. Um, just that there, it would have been pretty cool if they could have done that. So, I mean, I think it's definitely got a lot of great pros because it's going to, you know, hopefully encourage reading and things like that. But um, to me, there is nothing quite like holding a book, like curling up with, like, a hot chocolate or a pumpkin spice latte, like, yeah. uh, next to the fire in, like, a really comfy chair, like a blanket and reading a book. You're going to put me to sleep talking like that. Doesn't uh-huh. that sound fantastic? It does. But... Even in uh, my high school, next year they're supposed to give, I think, the juniors um, laptop computers. And yeah. if you go to that level, I mean, they're going to be terrible ones, but still, they could read their textbooks on that. Yeah. And I, I would ha- I would hate to see the physical book die off, but in the sense of textbooks and... I wouldn't mind seeing the textbook die off. Right. And it would also be good for money. But right. if you look at it from the environmental perspective then of course it's good that this is gaining in popularity but i don't know there's something i would never buy the next harry potter book in a kindle form absolutely right there are certain things that should be in book form and also if you look at it in the sense of you know as amazing as all the technology is today if you put it in a rainstorm it doesn't mean anything anymore so what would happen if there was a big blackout and no one had books i mean books are kind of the only thing that technology hasn't been able to touch until now. We had a big hurricane a couple of years ago, and I read The Hobbit. I nice. Don't, and the thing about I love about my Kindle, which is one of the older ones now, is the battery lasts a month. I've charged it four times since I've had it. It's incredible. And that I love. I just don't want to... I don't want to see books have a battery life. Yeah. Okay. That's a good line. <laughs> I thought so. Um, do you want me to roll with my final article here? Sure. This is getting a bit... Um, yeah. This is um, 
I mean, I can't really speak at length about this because it's something that was really talked about a lot here at school. Um, I think college campuses kind of lit up about this, but it seems to me like a lot of people didn't really know about it. Right. Um, so I'll just kind of outline this briefly and, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But basically, if um, you've been listening in on the news lately, hopefully you've heard about this trial for Troy Davis. Um, he is an African-American man who was actually executed on September 21st, 2011, so just like 10 days ago. And um, he was convicted of murdering a security guard on August 19th, 1989. So, well, he wasn't convicted on that day, but that was the day that the murder took place in Savannah, Georgia. And basically, it was, there's a lot of kind of confusing pieces to it because, I, you know, crime is never a simple, like, black and white kind of um, answer, I think. But essentially, this became kind of a hot-button issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Because, for one thing, if you notice, the murder happened in 1989. Um, that was 22 years ago, if my math is correct. Yeah. So why is it just now that he's had his trial kind of finalized and that the, um, the execution was appealed twice, I believe, and they were trying to push for clemency um, for this latest, because his execution date has been set quite a few times, has been set a few times, and they always managed to appeal it and get it put off, but, um, they were pushing for clemency, which is, like, lenience, um, with it happening, just to basically try to put it off, but in the end, the, um, Supreme Court did, denied hearing it, um, and they decided, in the local, um, court decided not to grant clemency, but there, essentially the issue with the case is that the murder weapon was never recovered. And, um, in one of the evidentiary hearings in June of 2010, seven of the nine trial witnesses that had uh, originally claimed that he was the man who committed the murder had recanted their identification. Hmm. So of the nine key witnesses, seven of them had said that they had misidentified him. Right. So you and, don't... Uh, what? What? I was just going to say, it's not just the issue of capital punishment, it's that this one is a bit... Right, like, aside from the fact that he, you know, whether or not you agree with the death penalty, there was a lot of question and doubt surrounding this, Mm -hmm. and what's really kind of been disturbing, I think, for a lot of people is the fact that just a few months ago, we saw the Casey Anthony trial get wrapped up, and due to this doubt that existed, um, she was let off, and, you know, a, a relatively young white woman from Florida gets let off for, you know, not having enough convincing evidence, allegedly, to say that she killed her daughter, whereas this African-American man was convicted in Georgia of killing a uh, security guard, who they also say was killing a cop, but he was really a security guard, I guess. But regardless, um, killing a white man, he ends up getting the death penalty. And so it's just a little questionable as to how for relatively the same amount of evidence, a white woman walks free and gets a book deal, and an African-American man dies. So you think there's an, kind of an understated racism there? I think it's just a, it's an interesting... Yeah. Given that to... you've obviously researched both of them, or seen the trials to some extent, what do you think he was guilty? Do you think she was guilty? I mean, I don't know enough about the details of the Troy Anthony um I mean, the Troy Davis case, that's weird. Sorry. <laughs> the, Could have been quite a trial. 
Yeah, well, his his middle name is Anthony, which is the weird thing, but um, it's it's a little confusing because he tried to say that it was someone else, and apparently he had been convicted of a second murder. Like it's it's very convoluted case, and I think so is the Casey Anthony trial. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can say whether they were innocent or guilty, but I think that both deserved a second look for opposite reasons. I think the Casey Anthony trial um, warranted another like look at the evidence. And because why would you lie unless you had something to cover up? Like she said that someone uh, like a fake person who she'd never spoken to before, who ended up actually existing, but who she'd never met before kidnapped her daughter when then she says, oh, but actually she drowned and I didn't want to get in trouble. Like, it's just why would you make that up unless you did something? Um, And then on this case, you know, I think that it deserves a second. You're talking about putting someone to death. I mean, you better be sure. Right. Like, there should be, without a doubt, he was the one who did it. And there's not that, so. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing. Never mind. Okay. So? so, I mean, I think it's just, it's an interesting um, case. I think it's very sad because, yeah. you know, normally I'm open. I mean, I wouldn't say that I necessarily support the death penalty, but, like, I can understand the concept of, like, justice mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I mean, I think that you're probably, like... I think it would be worse to live out a life term than to be. I'm sure killed. we'll go into the death penalty on another episode, but yeah. Yeah, but just to you know keep it briefer, I guess. I just sort of, to me, it just raised an interesting question about race and the justice system, right? And sort of what, why is it that we, as a you know country, can see a black man get killed while this you know white woman walks free. Hmm. Interesting. It's just interesting. Yeah. Very thought provoking. Excellent job again. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, I guess to wrap on uh, this first episode of the Chronicle, <laughs> we uh, had a lengthy discussion about economics. Yeah, Everything we did some from Wall Street. And... Wall Street and Greece, a cool bartering society. <laughs> yeah. Um, their eBay. We also had some sweet Kindle updates. Right. And an a very disturbing other article about technology involving toy. And then we control. had your excellent uh, death penalty reasonable doubt discussion. Oh, well, I thank you. As a as the first episode of the Chronicle, which is our news based segment, I thought that was excellent. I think we did a good job. Well, I'm pleased with the outcome. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. So, this has been the gavel with the Chronicle. Bloopers. Oh, I did it again. Ah, water. It's okay. <laughs>